Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, our, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In our series in the book of Daniel, we've been looking at living faithfully as an exile people. Just as Daniel and his compatriots were exiles in Babylon, so we Christians are exiles here on earth. And today we come across perhaps the high point of Daniel's faithfulness as we read of Daniel in the lion's den. As a child, this was uh, my second favorite Bible story, second only to the story of David and Goliath. I wish I had a theological reason for that, but it really is just as simple as I was named after the main character in that other story, and so Daniel had to take a back seat in my book. Many of us uh, have a tendency to approach Daniel chapter 6 as merely that, a child's story, fodder for Sunday school curricula. But there is far more going on here than just a simple child's story. And the story itself is not about, actually, the faithfulness of one man, though he is certainly that. But rather, it shows the faithfulness of our God, the God who delights in delivering his people. Let's begin our time together in the Word by looking at an inference to what I just said, an inference to my thesis, if you will. If God is faithful and delights in delivering his people, we can infer then that there is something we need to be delivered from. There's a problem that needs to be solved. And so what is the problem that Daniel faces? Well, first, things seem to be going pretty well for Daniel. Though there's been a regime change, it appears that King Darius is just as pleased with Daniel as King Nebuchadnezzar had been. According to the first three verses of chapter 6, Darius had promoted Daniel to be one of the three high officials in the kingdom and had every intention of making him his prime minister. It's not a bad position for anyone really to find themselves in, not to mention a foreign exile. We read in verse 3 that Darius plans on doing this because Daniel had an excellent spirit in him. Now, this particular reference to a spirit is not the Holy Spirit, though Daniel certainly has the anointing of God, but rather it's a comment on Daniel's character. He's found to be wise, thoughtful, and perhaps most importantly, faithful. Let me tell you, friends, in Scripture, there is almost no higher compliment. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 that servants of Jesus are meant to be found faithful. It's part of why I use that word all the time, why I'm constantly talking about faithfulness and the importance of it. In many ways, faithfulness is at the center of Christian life. And faithful is exactly what Daniel is. But here's the problem that Daniel faces. Faithfulness produces opposition. 
faithfulness produces opposition. You see, if we are called as believers in Jesus to be faithful to Jesus, when we're doing that, Satan is not going to like it. And so we are going to face opposition. The opposition to Daniel comes in the form of an attack from his colleagues who are jealous of his standing with the king. We are told that they sought any way to bring Daniel down, but couldn't because of his character, because of his faithfulness. And so they turn to his one perceived weakness. Verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And so they attack Daniel through his faithfulness to God. They knew that Daniel will worship his God no matter what, and so they concoct a scheme whereby anyone who worships anything other than King Darius for 30 days will be cast into a lion's den. And they knew it would work because Daniel's faithful. Just a quick side note on that. They say that the only fault they could find in Daniel was his belief in God. Would that that was the case for every follower of Jesus. Imagine if the church, if we as individual Christians lived in such a way that the only fault that could be found in us is our belief in Jesus. How might that change things? Sadly, that is not the case, but it should be our desire. That people would have no ground of complaint against any of us, save for our faith in Christ. And to be sure, that will arouse complaint from time to time. Daniel's faithfulness is the ground of opposition, and this really should be no surprise for us. While for some, believing means having a nice little crutch to get through life, or that God somehow promises an, an easy life without any challenges whatsoever, the truth is we worship the God who calls us to take up our cross. Christians believe in the one who said, come and die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. I should have no need to tell this congregation any of this. After all, we have those in our midst who had to flee their homelands because of the persecution they faced. This is a congregation that happens to be worshiping in this particular building today. Because of their faithfulness. Because they would rather take up their cross and follow Jesus and thought that that was more important than buildings or vestments or all the possessions of the world. And we don't say it often enough, certainly those of my generation, but thank you for that faithfulness. Thank you for modeling that. Those of you who went through that, thank you. Many of us in this room have faced opposition because of faithfulness. We know these things I just said, but we need to be reminded, don't we? 
Because so often when trouble comes again, when the opposition arises because of faithfulness, we act as if it's God ignoring us or maybe he's punishing us because we did something wrong. But we deep down, we know that's not the case, right? That that's not necessarily what's happening in our lives. And we know it because faithfulness produces opposition. And we know that because opposition is not the only thing that faithfulness produces. Faithfulness also produces fruit. What do I mean by that? Well, it is often through the fire of opposition, through staring down the lions, as it were, that God works in us. He sanctifies us, making us more like Jesus. And he does it most often by revealing something about him to us. See this? Let's take a look at King Darius. Through King Darius, we see that the fruit of faithfulness is the reminder of who God is and the depths that he is willing to go for us. In contrast to King Belshazzar, who we heard about last week, who is a weak and ineffective ruler, if you were at last Thursday's Bible study, Uh, you would have heard very clearly my opinion on Belshazzar, who might be my least favorite character in all of Scripture. King Darius, however, is a decent guy, and he's a good ruler. Yes, his advisors play on his pride to concoct this scenario, but outside of his pride, he actually doesn't have much in common, certainly with his immediate predecessor, but even with very little with Nebuchadnezzar. And upon learning that Daniel has been, brought, has been caught up in this new injunction, we learn in verse 14 that the king was distressed. And he did all that he could to try and save Daniel from the lion's den, but he couldn't do anything. He couldn't save him. It was the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction decreed by the king could be overturned, not even by the king himself. His hands were tied. And so he was unable to deliver Daniel from the certain death that he faced. And the king is so upset by Daniel's plight and his own powerlessness that he fasted and couldn't sleep. He was left in that time with no choice but to leave Daniel in God's hands. Verse 16, Darius says to Daniel, as he's being dragged away. May your God, whom you continually serve, deliver you. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. The king spends the night pacing around and fasting, unable to sleep, because he is the most powerful man in the world, and he is utterly powerless to help Daniel, to deliver Daniel from death. No human being could do that. But God, well, God has the power to deliver from death. Verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. This is the fruit that faithfulness 
produces. It reminds us that though we are utterly powerless, our God is powerful. Taken together, King Darius and Daniel are a perfect image of the Christian life. Darius, the non-believer, pacing around, anxious, looking for someone to deliver, to save, to rescue. Finally realizing he has no power in himself to do any of these things. He's left with no choice but to look to God. How many of us before we knew Christ could that be said of right there? How many of us even knowing Christ when crises come? pace around, looking for some way out until we are driven to the point that all we can do is look to God. And then there's faithful Daniel. Down in a pit, a place of seemingly no hope at all, and he is delivered because he believed in God. It's exactly how someone comes to Christ, isn't it? We spend so much of our lives looking for deliverance, knowing that something isn't right with our own lives and the world around us. And we try everything we can to fix it ourselves, be it ourselves or the world. We look around for whatever loophole we can find or back door that might find the way through, and we fail. Just like Darius. And it's not until we get to the point that seeing that we can't do anything for ourselves, that we can't rescue ourselves, that we begin to realize that we must turn to God. We must look to Jesus because we need someone else to save us. We can't do that ourselves. Daniel was rescued from the pit because he had faith, and the same is true for us. We are saved when we come to faith in Christ, knowing that we need him to overturn the injunction that sin and death have placed upon us. And that's exactly what he does. By his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus overturns the pronouncement that sin makes upon us, that we are guilty. That we deserve the lions, we deserve the pit, because we've worshipped countless false gods. We have been utterly faithless. And yet, unlike Daniel, Jesus, the perfectly faithful one, was not delivered from death. Instead, he died that we might be delivered. One man died that all might be delivered. He accomplished what not even faithful Daniel could do. Jesus didn't go into a pit of lions, but to the very pit of hell to deliver us, to be faithful when we are faithless, to give us life. And the amazing thing is that just like Daniel, all we who place our faith in Christ, when we stand before God because of Jesus, we too are found blameless. Daniel was rescued because God said he was not guilty of the crimes he had been accused of. If we believe in Christ, we, though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, are pronounced innocent because of Christ. Ian Duguid, who you all are hearing a lot of in this series, is one of my favorite Old Testament theologians. He wrote this, Whoever believes in Jesus will receive the same verdict from the heavenly court as Daniel did. 
For Jesus' righteousness is counted as theirs. Because of the work of Christ on behalf of his people, the divine judge says, not guilty. You may go free. Now we too can find favor with God through the cross of Christ. That is the depth of God's love for us. That is what our Savior has purchased for us. And so then living faithfully, the fruit of God's actions in our lives is to look to Christ even when we feel as though we're in the pit. To look upon Christ and remember that because of him, we are eternally forgiven. We are eternally his and there's nothing that can change that. We are struck with a great contrast in our passage between King Darius, frantic and hopeless, and Daniel, quietly faithful. We could probably relate a little more easily to Darius, can't we? How can Daniel have such peace, cool as the proverbial cucumber staring in the face of a lion? How does he have that It's because he looked to God. All he had was the presence of the Lord. Turns out that's all he needed. The same is true for us. We too can have that peace in the face of trial. We can have it as God produces the fruit of faithfulness in us, using our trials to draw our eyes to Jesus again. But that only matters if we know Jesus. So let me ask you, friends, is what I just described the Jesus you know? When you consider Jesus, as the author of Hebrews reminds us to over and over again, when you look at the cross, do you see the one who delivers you from sin and death so that you might hear you are forgiven? You are free. There's grace for you. Sadly, too many in the church have spent years without ever hearing that. Without ever hearing the gospel that Jesus lived and died for them, that he might make us faithful, that he might reconcile us to our Father. That is what our God does. And he calls us to come to him, to fix our eyes on him, our faith, our hope, everything we have on him. Faithfulness produces opposition, but it also produces fruit. How then do we live with faithfulness? Well, it means that when the lions come, when the enemies attack, we don't panic, we pray. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel did not let the difficulty of his situation knock him off course. Rather, he turned to the only one who had the power to help him. He prayed. And not only did he pray, he didn't just throw up some words, he prayed with hope. And we know that because he, we are told he prayed toward Jerusalem. His old home, that place that he'd been, he'd been ripped from years earlier. Jerusalem was the symbol of the hope that he had in God, that one day God would move and bring his people out of exile, that he would bring them back to his presence, to Jerusalem. 
delivering them from the exile. We know from the historical record that Daniel would have been, if not in his 80s, approaching them at this point. He had spent his entire adult life in exile, and yet he prayed with hope. Seems pretty remarkable given the situation he faced, not just in that moment, but throughout his life. Perhaps more remarkable is we're told that he gave thanks to God. That's pretty incredible. He just found out an injunction's been passed where if he continues to worship his God, he's going to die. And he gives thanks. That is utter faithfulness. To know you're going to your death if you continue worshiping and yet you stop to give thanks to God. And he's not hiding. The window's wide open. I don't know about you all, but that's not my default setting. <laughs> when times are tough, it's not really typical to stop and think, yeah, I'll just I'll pray and give thanks today. But the truth is, we're not Daniel. We're never going to be Daniel. And that's okay. The point of this book is not go be more like Daniel. It's remember the God of Daniel. Look again. Look again to who our God is. That's the point. Now, in a blink and you'll miss it moment, we get a very important piece of information. Verse 10 tells us that Daniel got down on his knees three times a day. Well, as it turns out, friends, Daniel's a good Anglican. He's keeping the daily office. He's got morning prayers. He's got evening prayer and compliment in here. The biblical evidence is there for you, friends. It is biblical to be an Anglican. Sadly, that's not what this means, as much as I wish it was. We can look at Daniel and feel overwhelmed by his faithfulness. How could anyone ever do this, right? And we think that there's no way that we can ever react in the same way. But the truth is, Daniel can only react faithfully because he faithfully spends time with God. His daily living is shaped by prayer. It's shaped by being in the presence of his God, by being in communication with the most powerful one in all of the world, more powerful than any king or queen or anyone. His faithfulness has grown through spending time with his Lord. That's how it happens. I've had countless conversations where people wonder, why isn't their spiritual life more exciting? Why isn't there more fruit in their lives? Why, why don't they feel like they know Jesus better? And then you ask, well, how often do you pray? Oh, I don't know, once a month maybe? We're not going to grow by ignoring him, friends. We don't natural react, naturally react with faithfulness. If that was the default position for human beings, we wouldn't need anyone to deliver us. Faithfulness is something that the Lord grows in us, and we could think of it in a sense as a learned behavior. And he does it as we come into his presence in prayer. And then when trial comes, when opposition arises, we find it so difficult to respond faithfully because we panic, we don't pray. 
We run around like King Darius, looking for any earthly solution we could possibly find, sweating it out and hoping it's all just going to work out in the end. There's Daniel, as cool as can be. Because he doesn't panic, he prays. And he's developed a constant habit of prayer. It's one of the ways the Holy Spirit makes us look more and more like Jesus. You get to know a person, you become like a person by spending time with them. And if he is the perfectly faithful one, isn't he the one we should look, we should desire to look like? If the highest compliment for a Christian is to be found faithful, shouldn't we spend a lot of our time with the one person who was perfectly faithful? I know what some are thinking. I've got a busy life. I don't, I don't have time for this. I can't spend hours in prayer. I understand that. If I don't intentionally make time for it, I can get on with my life and completely forget about it. I get it. But it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. If you don't have a consistent pattern of prayer, start small. That's why so many of us actually fail at these things. We, we try to start something, and we pick the biggest, most extravagant plan we can come up with, Right? I've done the same thing with Bible reading plans. I have failed at more Bible reading plans than I will ever remember because I think I can do it all in one day, right? That's what we do. Start small. When you wake up in the morning, pray the Lord's Prayer. Before you go to bed, pray it again. Start with something. One of my favorite prayers is what's known as the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That took me, what, 15 seconds? If you pray from your heart, time doesn't really mean a whole lot, friends. The Lord takes these small acts of faithfulness and through them produces the fruit of faithfulness. And the result is he sustains us. Faithfulness like Daniel's is only going to be found when we turn to our God over and over and over again. It may not be in our nature to seek him out, but he is faithful to call us and to lift us out of the pit so that in the end we might be found faithful before God and men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that It is your desire that we be found faithful, and we thank you that you are the one who does that work in us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the humility to acknowledge that we need you, that you would give us the faith to trust you, and that you would ever make us thankful to praise you and to praise your Son for the gift of life that he has purchased for us. We pray, Lord, that you would ever make us faithful, and that in the end, we would know that we were faithful to you as you look upon us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.